Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cinema's Soft Underbelly. I'm your host, Eugene Weaver, and... uh, if you're listening, then you know this show is all about horror movies, fantasy movies, sci-fi movies, gems in the rough, movies that uh, have not been seen that should be seen, movies that should be avoided at all costs. And uh, today, just so you know, uh, I've got a little bit of a head cold, so I sound fairly pathetic, but that's okay. I'm still going to do the show, and uh, my sometimes co-host Eric Marner is not joining me today. Uh, and today is going to be uh, catch-up day on The Underbelly, where I'm just going to go through some movies that I've watched in the past, uh, not quite month, but the last several weeks, and just give little short synopsis on the movies and if there are a thumbs up or not. Some of these movies I may have hit on briefly on uh, Movie Freaks, uh, but regard- and some of them I, would, I wouldn't mind spending a little bit more time on talking about and... Uh, and chiming in a little bit more on some of these. So, uh, anyway, so I'm going to get started here. Um, again, there's not going to, they're not all going to be horror movies, uh, but that's okay. This show is not just about horror movies. So, I'm going to start off with House of Seven Corpses, and this was uh, one of the last movies that I watched in uh, January, and. Uh, let me just pull this up here. Of says, um, so it's a good movie. It's it's from the uh, early seventies, and uh, while it's not it's not going to win any awards or anything like that, it definitely fits into underbelly uh, material, and uh, it's it's fairly simple, straightforward. There's a film going on in this old gothic style mansion. And uh, where where years before seven people were killed. Well, of course, this being an old school kind of cheesy horror movie, uh, everybody that's involved with this movie shoot that's going on there starts to meet ghastly ends the same way that the original people did. And there's a zombie involved that shows up. It's actually a fairly boring movie for for uh, for long stretches. However, uh, the end is the end is great. Um, definitely worth a watch for the the old school fans. Uh, so I does it get a thumbs up? Barely, but it does get a thumbs up. Uh, so check it out. It's uh, some of these movies I'm not even going to uh, give a whole bunch of details on, other than just you know, it's it's worth watching or it's not. This one here I will say was rated PG. And it's a strong PG. Nineteen seventy four is when it came out. It's a strong PG, but it is fairly bloodless. But again, that ending is really cool. And you know, it just the way it's filmed. It has that old, old fashioned seventies style filmmaking that uh, that I love. So anyway, <clears throat> that's one that for for setting expectations quite low, uh, it's worth at least one watch. Next up is the remake of The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And I'll tell you, I really liked the original. The original was uh, definitely of its time, and I believe it was a made-for-TV movie. Uh, It it was 
fairly cheesy, but it had some incredibly effective uh, scenes in it. Uh, to read it. I'm going to pull this up here. So the original was from 1976, and I'm just going to give a little history on on the original. Uh, because it is certainly worth watching. A Texas Ranger hunts for a hooded serial killer terrorizing the residents of a small town set in 1946, Arkansas, loosely based on a true story. Uh, so, again, it's the movie itself, it has, it, for some reason, it, <clears throat> it has almost a documentary-type feel to it, or a, how do I say, it's hard for me to describe, uh, you have to see it to just to get it, but it it was cool, and uh, there's stretches of boring in it, and then all of a sudden this you know a really hardcore uh, scene would pop up that you weren't really expecting, and therefore that movie definitely gets a pass from me. The sequel t- titled the same, "The Town That Dreaded Sundown," 2014. Uh, synopsis here: 65 years after a mask serial killer terrorized the small town of Texarkana, the so-called Moonlight Murders begin again. Is it a copycat or something even more sinister? A lonely high school girl with dark secrets of her own may be the key to catching him. And uh, <clears throat> this movie here, I, I did a little bit of research on, and it, it gets uh, it gets some, some poor grades. Uh, and... I, I, I understand why the director went a little bit too music video on this thing to where it was, uh, you know, let's do flashy cuts and flashy transitions. You don't need that. Uh, and, and it also has just a slight bit too much of that uh, high-def camera style. And uh, high-def camera style shot correctly looks fantastic. High def camera not shot correctly looks like high end home video, and I do not like high end home video looking movies unless it is truly supposed to look like that. Which, in the most cases, the found footage type things. Uh, this is a a movie movie, and the whole way through, you're like, okay, they're they're using really really good cameras uh, because it looks like video, high end video, and I it just it. To me, that pulls me completely out of the movie when they do that. And I understand at this point, uh, film is pretty much, it's not dead, but it is on its death throes. I mean, it's, it's about done. And so I understand filming on, on, uh, on digital and uh, in HD and even the 4K. And I'm guessing this thing was shot on, in, on 4K. Uh, the, the quality is fantastic. It's a little too fantastic, and that's sometimes what bothers me is you start to get that video sheen to it instead of the, uh, I don't want to say hazy, but just the, the little bit more soft, uh, the soft feel of film and the depth of, the depth of field that film gives you versus uh, the video. And it's almost like when everything is in frame, that's kind of the best way to describe what I'm trying to get across. And The Town That Runs Sundown, this remake, reboot, sequel, whatever you want to call it, has that feel. However, on the flip side, just like the original, uh, this movie features some extremely brutal, mean-spirited kills in it, uh, which, for Cinema Soft Underbelly, I give it a thumbs up. I gave it three out of five stars. 
looking past some of the issues that I had with it. But uh, it has some nice twists and turns towards the end. So it's not just a straightforward, uh, clear-cut slasher movie. They re- they try to keep you guessing and you know, who the killer is and the motives and all that good stuff. And so and, and I, I enjoyed it, but a little bit too flashy, a little bit too much on the high-def video. Uh, if they would have cut both of those back, this could have been a true gem in the rough. Uh, however... As it is, it's a very watchable, soft, underbelly movie. So, uh, anyway. Okay, moving on. I could talk about Killer Mermaid, but that would waste time on my show that I don't have. Um, So, let's just say that uh, I'm actually going to read what I wrote about this movie. Uh, I always, whenever I'm done watching a movie, I jot down just a couple sentences worth of thoughts on the movie. Just so, as I go back... uh, uh, on the year to see what like my favorite movies were and what my least favorite movies were, uh, and I've been doing this since 2007, uh, I can see, like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. That's a complete piece of crap. Or, oh, man, I haven't watched that in a year, and that was a total gem. Uh, and so for this one here, Killer Mermaid, I gave that one half of a star. Now, I've given zeros before, uh, and this one here, uh, it, it comes close to zero, but because of the of the few technical aspects of the movie that they actually used high def cameras and that they got Franco Nero uh, who is the original Django uh, to star in this complete piece of junk I have to not give it zero although I would like to because it is terrible the acting is terrible this is yet another one of those Netflix pieces of trash that just shows up and, and you're like okay Killer Mermaid and there's a picture of a mermaid demon thing, whatever, and you're like, it's probably going to suck, but you know me, i got to watch them just in case, because every now and then, you get a gem in the rough. Uh, For every Killer Mermaid, there's uh, at least one The Damned, uh, which is also known as Gallows Hill. I did a review on that back when I was in Florida uh, for vacation, uh, which is, I just got that on Blu-ray, total, total gem in the rough, and... uh, but that's one that if you would run across on Netflix and you'd see the picture of it and the title, you'd be like, yeah, right. That's a gem in the rough. This is the opposite of a gem in the rough. Uh, I think it was shot in Serbia, I think. The acting is – is it's so bad. It's it's almost unwatchable. Uh, the movie is probably padded out with, uh, I would say, over an hour's worth of padding of, of really nice-looking shots of islands and stuff. Uh, but it's padding on high def video, and it's another one of those where it looks like it's shot on video, and it doesn't look like film. It looks like high def video, and I just it pulls me out of the movie. Even if this would have been shot in thirty five millimeter, uh, with well, I guess if they would have had a bigger budget, it would have probably been better. But even if they would have shot this on on film, this would have been a complete turd. Uh, you don't need to know more about Killer Mermaid other than the title, and it was made in Serbia. So, the end. Uh, okay, so, m- moving on here, just a couple other ones that, again, I haven't really got to on Movie Freaks, and because I only, right now, I'm only recording uh, Soft Underbelly once a week, because I'm really busy, and, uh, you know, after a while, you just start to run out of, of uh, cool Underbelly movies <clears throat> to talk about. So, uh, I want to talk about, and I actually talked about this one a little bit on Movie Freaks. That's Barbarian Sound Studio. And I gave this a big thumbs down, but I want to hit on it a little bit more in detail on my show here as to why I did not like it and uh, some movies that that 
I think it's trying to maybe emulate, uh, but fails miserably. And I don't know why it's so hard to get a an Italian giallo right. Uh, the Italian giallo is one of my favorite kinds of movies. And uh, prime examples of, of the Italian giallos would be uh, Lucio Fulci's Don't Torture the Duckling, um, uh, New York Ripper, which is a little bit more slashery, but that's still in the same vein. And then, of course, Dario Argento has got a ton of fantastic giallos that you should see. Deep Red, uh, Tenebrae, which is my favorite from him as far as the giallo uh, category goes. Uh, then he's got the Animals Trilogy, Terror at the Opera. He's got a ton of them, and they're great. I love them. Uh, so that if you've watched any of those, that gives you an idea of what an Italian giallo is even even uh, uh, stage fright from the eighties is it's a slasher movie but it has a little bit more of the giallo feel to it and and the giallo is uh, is that's basically Italian's version of a murder mystery so a little bit more like an Italian Alfred Hitchcock movie and especially Argento's Animals trilogy those were very much uh, like he was trying to emulate Alfred Hitchcock. So those aren't all-out horror movies. They're not. The the Animal Trilogy that he did in very early 70s. And in fact, uh, his first one was was from this Animal Trilogy, his first directing gig. Um, so that's kind of what, what these are like. And this Barbarian Sound Studio, which just came out, it looks great. It's got high production values. It's got actors that – at least one actor that you would recognize. You're like, oh, him. Yeah, he was in Your Highness and he was in this, 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 this. He's kind of a recognizable character. Um, and that's where things go downhill fast after that. Just uh, high production values and a good actor does not make a good movie. Uh, you have to have the movie about something and it is about something. Uh, I think it's more about – our lead actor slowly going crazy, maybe, not sure. Um, but uh, he's a sound uh, he's a sound editor on this Italian horror movie that's being shot, and everybody in the building is weird, and he starts to have delusions or something, and he starts to go more and more crazy. But no killings or anything like that. It just, things just kind of happen, and then the movie ends. And I'm, I just, I don't understand, like... The setup was good, okay? So unstable sound guy going to Italy, uh, making a horror movie, and the the subject matter of the, the horror movie that they're making kind of makes him go a little bit mad, insane. That's a good setup. I, I like that. I Okay, I'm, I'm with you. I'm following you. And then let's make it more artsy-fartsy, and uh, let's not run with it and have him start murdering the people in the building, which then now you're, now we're talking Jalo movie, although you would have known who the killer was half the fun of the Jalo subgenre is that you don't know who the killer is and you find out the big twist in the end. Uh, so I don't, I don't understand why this is so hard making a Jalo movie nowadays. I, it, they had the budget, they had the, uh, the acting chops, uh, but instead they went all art house instead of full on horror. I have high hopes for Astron 6 and their movie The Editor, which is supposedly a loving homage to the Jalo. So we shall see. I love their stuff. I have I have bragged about their stuff on my show, on Movie Freaks. I think Father's Day is brilliant. Manborg was cool. 
Uh, I think the guys themselves would be a great group of people to make movies with, and I can't wait to watch the editor. So big, big, uh, high expectations. I will say that I have high expectations for that movie. Uh, please don't let me down, guys. So anyway, moving on. Uh, and the only reason I, w- I wanted to talk about Barbarian Sound Studio is just the fact that the Jalo needs to be done right. Uh, it's I think that's prime a prime candidate for a, a resurgence of uh, really rough murder uh, murder mysteries. You know, honestly, even even David Fincher's Seven could uh, could almost be considered a Jalo a Jalo uh, murder mystery with some horror trappings. Uh, a humdinger of an ending. And some of these movies have just great endings to where you're like, oh man, I did not see that coming. Seven has that. Uh, so that's just something to think about that it that's almost could sort of kind of fall into that, that the killer is offing people uh, in a very unique way for for a very unique reason. And when you find out who it is and, and there are, the whole modus behind it, it's, it's like, wow. So anyway, that's something to chew on and think about and probably disagree with me on and I don't care. That's that's fine. I just I thought of that and I'm like, yeah, that's that's kind of a good example of what I would consider a more modern day well done giallo, I guess. So anyway, moving on. Um Wormwood. Another one that I hit on a little bit on Movie Freaks. I'm gonna just touch base uh with that movie here. Uh just because I uh it, it's perfect, perfect uh underbelly material. Now here's a good example of shot on video yet really trying to make it look like it's shot on film. They did a good job on this one. Uh yeah, it's not the most crystal clear and amazing looking and that's okay. It looks a little bit more like film. And uh and I appreciate that. You can still tell, yeah, it's shot on video, but not near near to the effect that Town that dreaded sundown and some of the other ones had that look too. Um, Wormwood and I, what I think is cool about the title Wormwood is it's actually referring to uh, falling star and that star was in the Bible. They talked about Wormwood. Uh, it's supposedly in the Bible, I guess, and it means the end of the world is being brought on. And uh, and so basically, what this movie here is about is about zombies. Uh, basically, I believe it was set in Australia. You take a bunch of really crazy Australian actors and you get them dressed up like Mad Max extras and you uh, get some cool special effects, uh, zombies. They try to make this movie feel bigger than it is. And I like that too, is, is they really pushed their limits and I appreciate that. Uh, but they take the zombie the, the zombie story, which, you know, the world gets taken over by zombies. And they really try to add something unique to it in that in in how you become a zombie and what it takes to kill a zombie and the blood from a zombie. It's really unique. And I like that because the zombie, uh, the zombie genre has been done to death. No pun intended, of course. Uh, but I always can appreciate when someone brings something new to the table. And this does, even though it is a mashup of literally of Mad Max. And I think there is some of Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, uh, maybe even uh, Bad Taste in there. Some of Peter Jackson's earlier work, you can tell that they definitely got some ideas from Peter Jackson. At least to me, it seems like that. Uh, 
Also, this movie moves at a lightning pace, and and it's not like it's only an, like an hour and fifteen minutes long. It's like an hour and forty minutes long, but it is go 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 go. And I'm impressed that they kept up that momentum for that long. I give this four four stars out of five. Uh, my one complaint is that I felt that while it was go go go, it did feel it it truly did feel a little too long towards the end and it took them a little bit long to wrap things up uh especially with uh I guess you could say kind of introducing another character towards the end that is supposed to be now one of the main villains in the movie and it it doesn't quite work you're like what I haven't I don't I'm not invested in this character yet and now all of a sudden he's kind of a main bad guy and it's like what um but again I I know why they did it they did it so that it progresses the story and it wraps things up while leaving room for a sequel, of course. But the special effects were cool. It's gory. Uh, CGI bloodshed and gore is is kept to somewhat of a minimum, although it's of course there. Uh, but it's that's a gem in the rough. Trust me, that's that's definitely definitely a watchable movie. Uh, okay, now. Uh, another one that I want to hit on real quick before I would run, I've got a little bit of time yet, but I did want to touch on another Mario Bava movie that I watched. And I have got to say, I am extremely impressed with uh, this movie that I, I, I'm a big Mario Bava fan, but I never really wanted to see this one that much due to the rating. This is PG, but it's called Hatchet for the Honeymoon from 1969. Now the title sounds uh, complete horror cheesy. Trust me on this one. This is a gem in the rough. I believe this is on Netflix. And uh, what's cool is that the uh, the title does fit into the movie to a certain extent, but this is way more than that. This is a cool Twilight Zone-y type. I, it's hard. For, I don't want to say too much because you should see this movie. It is really cool. The score to the movie is great. It's very eerie, early 70s, late 60s, creepy. Uh, and I love the t- love the twist. Man, Mario Baba has a great way of of doing a fantastic twist ending. He did a bang up job in Rabid Dogs. I loved the twist ending in Rabid Dogs. Uh, in fact, that made the movie. That made the movie uh, a huge thumbs up. One of his best movies. And Hatchet for a Honeymoon is very similar. That. Uh, the end, you're like, oh, that was that was cool. I gave that, I gave Hatchet for a Honeymoon uh, three and a half out of five stars. Although I could have almost gone with four stars, that was it was that much of a gem in the rough. Uh, check the movie out. I do think that it would have been, I would have liked it a little bit more if there would have been a little bit more bloodshed, a little bit more uh, of a hard edge to it. But if you've watched any of Mario Bava's movies, and then you watch this, his his uh, stamp of approval is all over this thing. You can tell he directed this movie with the different camera angles, the very bright, vibrant colors that he shot in, which I personally think that Dario Argento got and used for especially Suspiria. Uh, I think that he got some of those ideas from Mario Bava. Mario Bava is one of the godfathers of the horror genre. And I cannot stress enough. If you are interested in horror movies or old school horror movies uh, especially from across the pond from from Europe, do yourself a favor and check out Mario Bava's body of work. Uh, some of them are d- obviously dated, and some of them can be a bit cheesy, but 
there is some true, true gems that he has made. And his last movie, Shock, also known as uh, Beyond the Door Part Two, is uh, was a I thought a great way to end his his way too short career. Uh, very big thumbs up. In fact, I'm not sure if there's any movie from him that I flat out hate. Uh, some of his movies, the more I watch, the more I like them. I think that Black Sunday and Black Sabbath are masterpieces of Italian gothic horror. Uh, and and honestly, I'm guessing that the more I watch Baron Blood, the more I watch Hatchet for a Honeymoon, Rabid Dogs, uh, Lisa and the Devil, I think the more I watch those movies, the more I'm going to appreciate them and really like them. And even his more uh, cheeseball-type movies like uh, Planet of the Vampires, uh, Danger Diabolique, which I believe that was on a Mystery Science Theater. I haven't watched that one since Mystery Science Theater, but uh, I do want to... And I'm I'm going to watch all of his movies, or at least all of the horror movies, suspense movies that he's done, because uh, they really are good. Man, they're really good. Even Twitch of the Death Nerve, which is fairly cheesy. Uh, I love watching that, and I appreciate what uh, what he was able to pull off in, in Twitch of the Death Nerve, and then what what Friday the 13th ripped off uh, from that movie. Not just part one, but there's several of the Friday the 13th have scenes lifted right from Twitch of the Death Nerve. So check that one out. Uh, okay, and last movie that I'm going to hit on uh, is uh, Forbidden World. Now, Forbidden World, I already talked about this Roger Corman movie uh, back on, I think, episode two. So if you want to hear more about Forbidden World in detail, check out my very... Uh, my, my second episode uh, of Soft Underbelly. However, I just wanted to reiterate what a great Underbelly movie Forbidden World is. Probably my favorite Roger Corman movie ever. And that's above Piranha, uh, Death Race 2000. Uh, Corman's got tons of movies. He didn't direct this one. He produced it. But everything about this movie works so well. Uh, four out of five stars. 75 minutes long. It cuts to the chase. There is nothing dull in this movie. It is go, 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 go. And basically, if you want to see a low-brow, soft-core, gory, cheap version of Ridley Scott's Alien, then you need to watch Forbidden World because that's what it is. It's 75 minutes of of uh, low-budget Ridley Scott Alien, and I love it. I love it. Uh, people are turned to slimy, gooey mush, and in the very next scene, a couple chicks are giving each other a shower, because that's what you do after someone turns into a pile of goo. Uh, it, it's hilarious. Uh, obviously, the farthest thing from scary, uh, it's a science fiction movie. The beginning is lifted directly right out of another movie that Corman did. I think Battle Beyond the Stars, I believe, is what that was lifted from, and the effects are, the effects are really good. It's an outer space battle. I love it. Uh, the creature is hilarious in this thing but you can tell it's it's uh they're going they're going off a of Ridley Scott's alien kinda sort of just a big toothy creature that is obviously a puppet uh the music is so great this movie here screams watch me at one in the morning that's what this movie is telling me every time I watch it it's like why aren't you watching me in the middle of the night cause that's when those movies are the best However, I'm 40 years old, and staying up in the middle of the night is just not uh, not in the cards anymore, or very, very rarely. So, anyway, that's uh, I just I want to reiterate how good Forbidden World is, and to a lesser extent, uh, 
some of Roger Corman's other movies are are equal are good, not quite as good as as Forbidden World. In fact, there was another sci-fi movie that came out with a little bit bigger budget than Forbidden World, and I I talk about that on episode two. And you know what? If you want to hear more about that, listen to my second episode because I talk about that movie, Forbidden World, and a couple other little gems. So. Anyway, so that's kind of catch up. There's still a bunch of movies that I've seen recently that I have not been hitting on on my show, and uh, I'll probably be hitting on some of those at another time because I would really like to delve into a couple of movies, especially just to to hint for things to come. I would like to talk about uh, a movie called Autopsy, and it's not what you think, but it's another gem in the rough. I'll get on. I'll talk about that movie more later. So. Anyway, you can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com for any questions, comments, concerns, movies that I should see, movies that I should avoid like the plague. Make sure to tune in to Movie Freaks on iTunes. And, and I'm stuffed up, by the way, right now, and that's okay because I don't care. I'm sick, and I'm still going to be doing my show. Uh, but, yeah, Movie Freaks on iTunes and Cinema Sidekicks on iTunes. Uh, great shows. Please tune in. Listen to them. Uh the Oscars just happened, and I'm going to just say that I won the Oscar pool. I had the most uh, most guesses right, so I'm not sure what I'm going to win yet. It uh, I'm hoping for a huge Blu-ray set of something awesome. So, Eric, if you're listening, get on that immediately. Uh, yeah, so anyway, that's going to do it for my show today. Again, thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more uh, soft underbelly heading your way in the near future. Until then, thanks. Bye. Mm-hmm.